Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. And thanks for joining us today. If you're not aware about the purpose of this Puberty Prof Podcast, I want to explain very briefly what my mission is here. My mission is to create more awareness of what parents, caregivers, educators, etc., to create more awareness for these folks about what we can teach to young people. So specifically during those ages or grades of four, five, six. So the ages of, let's say from eight to 13, I would go earlier because a lot of children already know some things. So I wanna provide as much updated functional health knowledge, it's a term we use in health world, as well as skill development. So if you've haven't listened to any of the previous episodes, this series has been focusing on standards that school health teachers utilize, their national standards, and they're, they're skill-focused, if I say it like that. And today's topic is on standard eight, advocacy. And to help us talk about this skill of advocacy of what we can talk to young people about is Dr. Irene Cucina. And she was on the podcast about a year ago. I love her energy. I love it, love it, love it. Um, We have crossed paths numerous times in our career. So I would like her to say hello, Irene, if you would say hello to everyone and tell us a little bit about your background. Good afternoon, Lori. And I am honored to have been asked to be on another Puberty Prof podcast. Um, My students listen to this podcast. Um, I think as future health educators, it's so important for them to hear the words of experts in the field. I'm currently a professor in the Health and Human Performance Department at Plymouth State University, and I'm the program coordinator for health education and PE teacher education for both the undergraduate and graduate programs. I spent 18 years as a high school health and physical educator in Newton, Massachusetts, and two years of my doctoral program teaching in the health science program at Springfield College. So over the last 40 years, I've been in the field, both K through 12 and at the collegiate level, um, teaching people about healthy behaviors. So I'm really excited to talk about advocacy today. Thank you again for being here, Irene. And it's just your energy. I just love your energy. And I can imagine, like, even even though you've been in the field for so long, it's like you're still passionate about what we do in the field of health education because we're improving the, the lives of children and youth. When you look at a class of students and you look in their faces, All the content in the world really means nothing if you see behind those eyes an unhealthy look. And so I've always thought about teaching the child. And that's why 
in the 80s, it was about, about making sure students could advocate about their own sexual health. In the 90s, we went into more of this, how can we advocate for your personal health relative to self-management? And now as we're in this post-pandemic, where you have to connect both relationships and mental health with everybody. So how could I not be passionate? Health changes every single day. And without health, really, lives are so difficult without having a healthy approach to self-management. Yes, I totally agree. And I'm gonna do a little side note here in case a sound appears in my background. Uh, we unexpectedly are having our carpets replaced. So anybody that's listening in, if you hear anything, uh, that's the sound. I'm going to try to mute it out, though, if I can, um, uh, as I edit. Okay, so before we jump in to talking more about advocacy, I'd like to read what is on the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention website, the cdc.gov website, of what Standard 8 is for the National Health Education Standards. So, and I'll put a link to this in today's description. Standard eight reads, students will demonstrate the ability to advocate for personal, family, and community health. Now, Irene, in your own words, would you describe it a different way or? Yes, I would. I would describe it as the student is able to promote healthy behaviors with their peers and their family, and then eventually with their community, because advocacy entails having a passion. And for a kindergartner, their passion might be recess, but they don't have the words to operationally define what it is they're passionate about. So in the past couple of years, Parents might have heard this terminology about self-advocacy, which stems from special education and making sure that your child understands their strengths and weaknesses and is able to advocate for themselves with adults in the school community. But I'd like to venture to guess that all of our children would benefit by having an individual ed plan. Everybody brings to the school their own issues and their strengths and their weaknesses. So to be able to respectfully communicate your needs so that you can learn better in the early elementary is imperative. So that's why developmentally, some teachers and parents see this term advocacy and they think, oh, that's grown up. Oh, that's grown up. Whereas a kindergartner first grader could be advocating to their parents the benefits of wearing a helmet while bicycling. So I think we have to look at it as teaching our children early, and parents can do this, to talk to people respectfully and have the proper and valid information to support their claim. So at school, they learn about washing hands. Then going home and they see an older brother not washing their hands. 
developmentally, a five-year-old might want to showcase to the family, I know how to wash my hands. So instead of communicating it in a calm way, they're yelling about the importance of washing their hands. So that's where a parent can support their child's learning by saying that is correct, but let's try to say that in a way that's respectful. So there's two components to advocacy. And so I think it is one of the most important things we do for children because parents tend to come in and take on the voice of their child. And then we see when they get to me the co and you as college professors, our college-age students don't know how to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. And as their advisor, as a faculty member, I don't have that magic eight ball to understand how do you learn best? What's bothering? How can I help you to navigate what's going on if you don't clearly communicate? So I am passionate about advocacy and I have to give a little precursor. <laughs> right? Advocacy for healthy behaviors really started in the 80s during the HIV crisis at the peak of its crisis. And as many people know, in the health and physical education field, I lost my sister and her husband to complications due to HIV. And part of it was that I wanted to have this platform with my high school students that they need to take care of their own health and that there are many ways to intimacy and there's also safe ways to get there. And that the social expectations is based on individual values. And one of the things my sister asked me at the end was, as a high school health teacher, please, teach kids they have to know the facts and have choices. And so I became this passionate advocate for sexuality and sex education in the schools because I believe we don't give students in many places across this country the necessary knowledge to make wise choices. And sometimes we give them all this knowledge with no skill to do anything with that functional health knowledge. Right. So that's where my passion comes from. So that's why I believe totally in advocacy. Because that is the standard when I had asked if you would be on the podcast again. And I was like, okay, Irene, what standard? And you were like, yes, advocacy. Yes. Okay. Because having kids have a voice that is respectful helps them all the way through their life to advocate. And they have to also learn that sometimes you don't get those requests. No matter how much research you do, you don't get what you're hoping for. So the last couple of weeks, my students and I were at a high school doing an e-prevention program with the juniors and seniors. And so, you know, they all juniors and seniors, they know everything there is to know about e-cigarettes. Um, until we started to do some scenarios where they had to advocate to the younger students at this school, the ninth and 10th graders, to try to maintain a vape-free community. And when they did this and started to draw their slogans, which are going to be hung around campus, all of a sudden the older students started to realize, I 
I don't think a 14 year old should be vaping. And I'm like, well, why not? And then all of a sudden you could hear this passion about the financial constraints and the health constraints and how vaping can prevent you from achieving your goals. And I said to them all, we've all just relayed a message which you've taken a stand on, which is advocacy. So I think with health, what we have to teach everybody, parents, students, teachers, future educators, grandparents, is it's a choice. Being healthy is a decision that's very personal. No matter what we say to somebody, selecting healthy behaviors is a very personal choice. So that's why I say to my students, you sometimes won't get the outcome you were hoping for. Your older brother stopping vaping or your roommate is on social media so much that it's totally affecting their life and it's, it's causing unhealthy behaviors. And sometimes you're not going to get them to stop, but maybe in the future, they'll hear this teeny tiny voice that had this passion to share what they thought and that facts and how they could maybe do alternative things instead of spending time on social media. So that's what you hope for as a parent, as a teacher, as a sibling, as a friend, that you hope to share your passion, but people sometimes aren't ready to hear what we have to say. And that's okay. It really is okay. Well, if we go back to younger people, I know you referred to a kindergartner or first grader. Uh, like some of us too were taught children are to be seen and not heard because I was taught that growing up. Mm -hmm. So how do we explain to the audience here uh, that we can teach this even to like children that are in the fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I know you mentioned kindergarten before, but like that, that pre-pubescent, pubescent years that we can teach it. Although some of us were not taught it. You know, you, you just sit there. You are to be seen and not heard. And that's a challenge because children today, I was speaking to a public school teacher this morning and it was pretty clearly kids are different today. They will tell you in kindergarten if they don't like something. They will, the third graders will tell you right out, I, I don't like this. But our goal is to give them the language to speak clearly, concisely, and with valid facts. So as a group, if we decide, why can't we have recess before lunch? Why can't we just flip-flop recess? So now these students have to find the facts with the help of the teacher. And that's a nice little web quest. And then we write out our script because public speaking is hard. And so we practice with our peers and we write out the words we're looking for and you have them on the board or a whiteboard or a PowerPoint and they practice that communication of assertive language by you role modeling and then them using polite assertive language and saying to the principal, the cafeteria, the admin assistant, 
and anyone else who's scheduling, this is the reasons why we've done research about recess and lunch. We're concerned of all the food that's being thrown out with lunch being before recess, because let's just look at the facts. Who wants to run around with a full stomach? And we're all excited to get outside. So wouldn't it make better sense to not throw out buckets and buckets of food and let us have recess first, and then we'll all be hungry to come in and eat? It's We, we looked at it, and here's some alternatives. And I think fourth and fifth graders like to have a script, and they like to act it out. And by acting it out in simple language that makes sense, and then they practice with each other, and then they decide how we are gonna do this? Um, and they could do a little video as a class so that they don't feel so constrained to talk to the teacher. And the teacher could teach how to access valid resources, which the New Hampshire Dairy Association has been trying for years to get schools to flip-flop lunch and recess for years. And I know it's a scheduling issue, but it really makes no sense to have them eat and then go out. So much food is in the trash. It's really upsetting how much food gets thrown out. And, um, but schools don't look at it. Now, wouldn't you listen to a third or fourth grade or fifth grader if they shared their passion of why it's important? As an adult, I would. Mm-hmm. And more principals today are more apt to listen to students if they are taught how to do it correctly. And the teacher needs to say to the principal, on the other hand, as well, we're really working on researching this mm-hmm. because I am struggling because the kids come back from lunch and recess and the last three and a half hours of school, they're grumpy by the end of the day. And they're literally so hungry because they threw out half their lunch. And I, you know, to go into school and have to eat lunch at 10 o'clock in the morning when you just got there at 830, I I always say there has to be a better way with Mm -hmm. lunch at the elementaries. And I'm not a nutrition expert, but I do know about movement. Mm -hmm. And you want these kids to get up the move, but I also want them to have the appropriate nutrition. And for some... The reduced lunch might be their only time eating. And if all your friends are racing outside and you're like, should I finish this? Go out, finish, go out. At that age, you would go outside. Mm -hmm. So for kids, I think parents need to, when a child is expressing their needs, wants, and desires, if that child is voicing it in an angry way, then we have to teach them how to talk to people. And I always use this, you catch more bees with honey. People are more apt to listen to you when you're calm. Mm -hmm. People are more apt to listen to you when you're relaying something with conviction and passion. And so in the late 80s, when my sister contracted HIV and she eventually passed away, I had a group of students that I literally decided to tell the school my sister died of HIV and I had her nep- her son, who was my nephew. And I was like, how are they gonna treat me? What is it gonna be like? 
because that was what the world was like. And all these kids came up to me with stories of their family members. So together with their passion and conviction, they started a fighting AIDS through education club called FATE. And the school at first was not happy about it because why are we talking about HIV and AIDS? And then the students went and talked with the data to the principal and guidance. And we're like, we have kids in this school. No one knew that anybody was till Miss Cucina spoke to us. And now we find out that so many are affected. And this is a way for us to educate our peers. So when they go to college, they make wise choices out of the words, out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> and it's interesting because it's advocacy is not saying, well, I think. It's going, okay, now this is what's going on. It's not my thoughts. It's they do their research, they access the reliable resources and they present points in, a, in an assertive, like that's what you said, in an assertive manner. And looking at that facts, the facts, if there are no facts to support this, it's really difficult to create change. And for kids to create change, they can do very small acts and we've seen it. We've seen these children that do these special projects that end up changing their whole community. And so it's just really a person who has really got that conviction. So conviction towards a vape-free community or a school that demonstrates kindness or healthy environmental wellness has to be modeled. And so our adults need to model the behaviors. So as a public school teacher, it's challenging for me to go into a school if they're not offering health education. And here I come with this passion because you bring your body everywhere you go and every decision you make connects directly to your overall health, everything you do. Um, and Parents get upset about when we talk about sex ed, but I'm always like this, let's reverse it and say, we need to talk about relationships. Yep. Mm -hmm. And our students don't have the terminology or the resilience to communicate effectively. And so before I can teach advocacy, I've got to teach communication skills. Mm -hmm. And so that means everybody in that school, in the whole community needs to buy in. So if a kid is talking with a, it's the tone, you hear a tone versus the volume. So you can hear this tone. And now all of a sudden you hear a second grader with this tone that you're like, developmentally they shouldn't be talking that way <laughs> and all you can do is what you can do in the schools and so as a health educator as nurses and physical educators I was always willing to offer professional development to my teachers how can we improve the language of our community it's it's interesting that you say that because when I was teaching at the high school level when we had back to school night or um yeah, it was, I think it was called back to school night and I presented what health education class was. And I, I had written on the board, this is what we do. These are my units. You know, we're gonna talk about general wellness and what that is, what, what all the components, dimensions of wellness include. 
And then we're going to go into communication skills. And we're going to look at, you know, all the, the, the body language, the tone, the words, the how are we texting? How are we communicating through email? We're going to look at all that. And we're going to look at, it's, um, it's a self-management unit. And we're going to look at the realities of stress because it's part of life. And we're going to look at healthy relationship skills. And they're going to practice them. And then even goal setting that's not to nutrition, physical education, mm -hmm. but to all areas of wellness. And a lot of parents, um, majority of them were very positive and they would say, can I take a class like this? Yes. And I find it like to summarize what you said, basically for a parent, caregiver, or teacher, what we can do with younger people, four, five, sixth graders, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth graders, what we can do is to have them practice, uh, write down what they would say, research with reliable resources, and we teach them that uh, skill also in health education, and to practice how to say things with a tone, record it if needed, but practice, practice, yes. and we're modeling it as adults. So you can have your young people do that. And it reminds me of um, even this little boy in a video clip I just used in my online class, it was, um, he was talking about riding a bike and was showing self-efficacy that you can do it. And it was the first time he rode a bike and he's like, oh, you can do it, you can. And it's so sweet, oh, but it's, it's providing people that ability, that self-efficacy yes, to advocate for themselves and then for others. Because Advocacy is not only about advocating for yourself. It's about advocating for those healthy behaviors with people around you. And our middle school kids and high school kids, elementary, um, upper elementary, they're going to tell their friends before they tell anybody what's going on in their life. So it's really important for kids to be able to communicate with their friends about what healthy behaviors are. And so a lot of times I give out surveys with my upper elementary. What would you do if your friends made fun of your healthy behaviors? How could you convince a friend to practice a healthy behavior such as washing your hands, wearing a bicycle helmet, allowing someone on the playground who climbed to the top of the slide and she or he decides, I don't want to go down the slide that the little boy waiting behind is going to say, okay, I'm gonna climb down and let you down because the person at the top said, I don't wanna do this. They advocate for themselves and the little boy climbing up, he hears this and is able to process it and say, well, then that person shouldn't have to go down the slide if they don't want to. Mm -hmm. They're able to come back and that goes right back to consent. Yep. So it all connects and everything we do in life, in this world, that's like six degrees of separation <laughs> is connected to our health and it's connected to the people around us. So kids can really quickly know that smoking's not bad if a parent is smoking and they don't like it. They'll become really an advocate, but all they'll do is bug their parents. So to teach them the data to find the valid, reliable resources about what happens from smoking gives them the knowledge they need to go home. Now, some parents don't like that. 
that happened in one of my nutrition classes years ago. And we were like, okay, we have a lot of processed food. Let's talk about that. But I didn't know the student was going to go home and do that. But he was really trying to advocate for healthier choices and not really doing it in a clear way. And, and then I realized I really got to teach communication. So mm -hmm. I also teach communication as one of the beginning skills. Mm -hmm. it's That's the, my favorite skill. Me too. That and analyzing all the influences that make you behave the way you do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because if you can analyze those influences and they might be triggers, then I have to advocate for myself maybe not to be in those situations. Yeah. It all connects. Isn't health great? Oh, it's wonderful. It's just awesome. In which this is a, a great uh, way to conclude our recording today. But before we end, Irene, is there anything else you'd like to share today with our audience? I just think that with all the discussion about mental, emotional health issues, the more we can get our students to demonstrate social engagement and self-awareness and articulate their strengths and weaknesses, their beliefs relative to their health, the better they'll be as they go through those difficult adolescent years. Because they're only, we got to realize that in those years, it's all about them, which mm -hmm. is developmentally appropriate. But the way the world is now, we have to teach that their engagement in society is part of the big picture. And I think COVID prevented social engagement and relationship building. And we really need to have these kids look at their community of school and home and say, how can we have a healthier life here by being engaged with each other? And I think that, you know, classroom teachers and parents can demonstrate this because a sloppy home, like the kids leaving their stuff out, it, it causes stress for others in the family. So you're, it's, you know, the world doesn't rotate around you and those, mm -hmm. instead of yelling about it, let's discuss how does this make me feel when you don't clean up instead of screaming clean up. And it's like coming at it from a different way. And everybody, we're different now. The world is so different in 2022. Yeah. 2023 when this comes out they're di it's different and so mm -hmm. we have to realize the communication styles of the 50s and 60s and even 70s don't really work very well yeah I have to say I've appreciated our conversation and I love how you note that typically before we teach advocacy there are other skills that we teach before that and that's accessing reliable resources, analyzing influences, these communication skills, you even referred to decision-making. And we, after students have the basics there, they can then go to the advocacy skills. Mm -hmm. That's usually how it, it, it progresses in health education world. That's exactly it. And advocacy, I'll tell you, college students had advocated recently to have our mental health system was closing, our, our counseling center was closing at four. Well, mental health issues don't happen between nine and four. 
So through their advocacy efforts, we were better able to have hours that address the needs of the students. Um, otherwise, you know, is it financially working for a university? Probably to them it's not, but to the kids that need it and to all of us that love those kids, yes, it is. It's totally beneficial. So I think that if we keep working on this and we keep making sure that there is effective school health education and we keep tooting our horns and trying to have people hear us, um, I think we can make a difference. I think we, I know we make a difference in health education. I really do. Well, thank you, Irene, again, for being here today. Thank you for having me, Lori. Always a pleasure. To our audience, thank you so much for listening in. If you'd like more information about advocacy skills, I will put some links in today's description. So please look at that. And I truly appreciate that you all listened in and I hope you learned something about advocacy because the reality is, is that you're important and that you have the right to be happy and healthy. And so do children and youth. Everyone has the right to be happy and healthy. So thank you again, Irene. Thank you to the audience listening in. And I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.